Good morning. Welcome you back to your seats. Grab your Bibles and turn back to smack dab in the middle of the book of Revelation, chapter 13. I should say smack dab in the middle of the Great Tribulation there because there are only 22 chapters. An intriguing and very uh, interesting chapter to talk about this morning. And as you make your way there, I'll ask the Lord for his blessing, as we always do. Now, Heavenly Father, we just pray that you'd help us by your Holy Spirit to gather our thoughts and to focus on the word of God. We receive it as the scriptures even attest that the word of God is God-breathed and not the origin of any man. We receive it as such, the very words and life of God, and we pray that that life would find its place in our hearts and that we would hear the truth and that as Jesus taught us, that truth would set us free as we put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been talking about the end times as the, as the prophecy of Revelation really unveils to us the future of what's coming and we've reached a place here in Revelation 13, where we're talking about uh, the number 666 as it relates to the Antichrist. And so, you know, we're just going through the Bible, and so that's where we find ourselves today, and that's uh, the day that you picked to come to church. <laughs> and uh, we're going to take a look at not only that number, but because it's in our text, we go chapter by chapter, but uh, the person who that number is so infamously associated with. Now, some years ago, um, I was topping off the gas tank of a rental car. Now, I knew it didn't need a lot of gas, but I didn't want to get zapped at the place. And so, like most people, we go and we top it off. And I, I went to the gas station and the tank was filled and I went to remove the nozzle and I noticed the gauge, the dollar amount read $6.66. <laughs> and so I smiled and I had my finger on the little trigger and I, I just laughed and I just thought, am I really going to just, am I seriously? And I gave it a little squeeze. <laughs> And it read 668, and I went, oh, that's so much better. <laughs> well, that's dumb and silly, and it has no meaning. But I mean, I was talking to a Christian just the other day. They didn't even know what the text was this Sunday. And, and they brought up, they were at a hotel, and guess what room they were assigned? 666. And, and she looked at the clerk, and she said, Seriously? <laughs> and then, yeah, they said, we'd prefer another room <laughs> with a smile and a laugh and a giggle. And then, you know, the clerk says, yeah, most people do. <laughs> you know, uh, because it's so well known and it's such an unpleasant, uh, to say the least, uh, connection. It's terrible association. You know, I came across this. They have a cough syrup and allergy medicine brand called 666. I don't know if you can buy it. I thought it was a joke, but you can get it. It's a real company. Monticello uh, Drug Company has this line. And so I went on their website, 
And it doesn't make any play on words. There's a whole line of products for your cough and cold. And it's all 666. That's the brand name. Now, uh, now, if I were their PR person, I didn't see any kind of play on words or anything. I would have said, like, when you have a wicked cold. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, or, I mean, what would possess you to buy another, another brand of cough medicine? <laughs> There's so many different ways you could go with that, you know, and so thank you for that picture. You know, most people don't take it seriously in the world, and they do little TV night dramas by 666 uh, Park Place, which is already canceled to show you how popular that was. <laughs> so clearly the number has unpleasant associations, like I said. It's the most infam infamous number in the world. Wherever you go on the planet, in this large world, people know what you mean when you say 666. And so this is part two of a message, as I've been saying, from last week, where we continue to talk about that number and, more importantly, the man who's identified by it, somebody we call, because the Bible calls him this, the Antichrist. Uh, now, in case you just rolled your eyes inwardly so I couldn't see it um, and thought to yourself, oh, no, how did I get myself into this? You know, well, let me say this. The gospel, the good news, the, the central message of Christianity is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever just trusts in Jesus shall not perish but have everlasting life. So the majority of the New Testament, for sure, uh, exhorts us how to enjoy God's love, to receive the Holy Spirit, to have a second birth, and to live the new life. The resurrection kind of starts the moment we open our hearts to the Lord. So the New Testament guides us about the pitfalls and helps us to understand what it is that God is doing in us and wants to do through us. And, and yet, that's not the whole story. Um, a, a third of the Bible is prophetic, and it, and it talks to us about how this world will end and how Jesus Christ will come and, and, and establish his kingdom of goodness and of peace. And so we look forward to that. There are 2,000 Old Testament uh, and more uh, references to this great day of his appearing, and it's called the second coming of Christ, or in the Old Testament and new, the day of the Lord. And we look at it like it's this beautiful, wonderful new life. It's to remove the curse and to make the world and us and everything in it the way that God had originally planned. However, that day does not come without a period of seven years, the last seven years of terrible cataclysmic judgments. It's when this, this one world ruler called the Antichrist rises to power. So you, you really can't kind of TiVo and just get, you know, fast forward through some parts because the Lord has put it in the scriptures for us to take to heart and to be forewarned and to know how serious life can be. So let's get us up to context and then we'll divide uh, the chapter uh, in half and we'll consider the portion that was left for us to consider. As I said, we're in the middle of the last seven years of planet Earth. It's called the Great Tribulation. And 
Um, the, and so number one, and there's a slide that'll just help you follow me just for context. These are the four things that you kind of got to know before we dive in to talk more about this world ruler. So first of all, the Lord has come for his church. Uh, the church age is over. So in Revelation chapter four, the Lord himself tells John about the vision he's given him. Now, the things I'm about to show you come after the churches are finished. After the church age is done, and the Lord has come secretly as a thief in the night to take his valuables with him out of harm's way, as he has promised the church that he would spare us from this terrible hour that would come upon the whole world. Two are at work. One left. One stayed behind. And this is the whole idea of uh, what is called the rapture found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where we are caught up together to meet the Lord in the heavenlies. And so the church is gone, and that's when the man of sin, another title for the Antichrist, is revealed. He's the central character on earth, at least, of the Revelation prophecy. He is the protagonist, if you want to call him that, the, the starring role that everything bad comes together under this world ruler. Secondly, uh, cataclysmic judgments have been happening since Revelation 6. The Great Tribulation is known for, really, it just seems like a nuclear wars are going on because we have already seen mountains being leveled. We've seen a third of the sea destroyed. We've seen uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So the Antichrist rides out to deceive, and then you have a, a terrible famine and financial collapse, and you have the red horse, which was a global war, and then the, the, the black horse of famine, and the pale horse of death. And so a lot of the world's population perishes in this terrible end-time chaos. So that's going on. And then thirdly, in the midst of all of that, there appears a focus point in this one individual called the Antichrist. Uh, and here's what we've learned in the first part of the chapter we're going to take on uh, this morning. He's a uniquely powerful dictator, a world ruler. He arises at the end time out of the sea of humanity. He's empowered by the evil one himself. And, and the code word for the evil one is the dragon. And he's already been identified as the devil himself. And now we see that this Antichrist is not alone. He, has, he comes wrapped in a government, a nasty coalition of nations and leaders. His empire is what brings, uh, is the instrument that brings the world under his uh, dominion. So we're told it's an evil empire, and it combines all the very worst past oppressive regimes and dictators all into one package. So when it says the beast, which the Bible calls him the beast, John calls him the Antichrist only four times. The Bible calls him the beast 30 times. And so as Warren Wiersbe put it, he said, God has finished thinking of this guy as a man, a human being designed in the image of God, but rather as a, as a brute animal under the control of evil. And so he is called the beast, and this guy is sadly, uh, during this time, unlike the church age, much of those who, 
the people who turned to Christ during those last seven years are martyred. So we learned last chapter, last time, that they are overcome. They're wiped out. It's terrible. And it's another reason we, we see where it's not the church. Because Jesus said, the gates of hell shall never prevail against the church. In other words, physically, the church remains on the earth intact, but not in revelation uh, after the tribulation starts. Those Christians, it says, and I quote, he has power to overcome and conquer them. You see, and so it's a sad time. They're martyred. They're not overcome spiritually. They have eternal life, and they'll have eternal reward. But uh, woe to those who have to, to come to heaven through that chaos. It just uh, glad to have them be going to heaven, but so sad to see the suffering that will be coming upon the earth. So with that, we are ready to finish up. Now, the, he's also called the man of lawlessness. He has the world by the tail. The, the preceding verses have told you. Every tribe, people, language, and nation are under his spell. That was verse 7. The world adores him. Israel has received him because he has made peace and a peace treaty that brings peace to that whole region. And Israel rejected her true Messiah. But when he comes on the scene, they open their hearts to him, just as Jesus told them they would do in John chapter 5. And so now... Uh, his regime is crushing the opposition, and all hell is breaking loose. It's a bad scene. And now we will learn that he's gotten to where he is, the Antichrist, not by himself, but with the help of a friend. And we are going to meet his best friend today, another man, but empowered by the same evil one. All right, so here we go. I'll read the whole thing that we're going to look at. It's just the paragraph. Now John says, then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. So when you see first beast, see, it's scary. I told you. (laughs) Even babies know they're smart. You know, so I'll start again. All right. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the Antichrist on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the Antichrist, whose fatal wound had been healed. And he, the false prophet, performed great and miraculous signs even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, the Antichrist, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the Antichrist, who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the Antichrist so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small, great, rich, poor, free, and slave, to receive a mark 
on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast for it is a man's number. His number is six, six, six. Well, welcome to The Rock. <laughs> and here we go. The paragraph divides pretty nicely. It's pretty simple this morning. I mean, profound, but uh, pretty well contained. Let's uh, divide our thoughts this way. Three ways. The man's character, the man's power, and the man's mission. Now, who is this man? He's unidentified here, but later in the uh, chapters, we find a name for him, and he's called The false prophet. He's the false prophet. Now, first of all, about his character, if you're taking notes, number one, well, he's evil. And now, uh, I know that that may not sound so profound, but, you know, work with me here. Uh, He's guilty by association. There's a family resemblance. So back a chapter, we found out that Satan, the dragon, appeared in a multi-headed beast uh, coalition of nations and that whole deal. It was very similar to the Antichrist. And it shows a family resemblance that though they are distinct beings, the devil and this man called the Antichrist, they're very closely connected. And now John says, oh, wait, there's more. There's another beast. Ah, So we get the language, therion in the Greek for beast. It means a ferocious animal that tears you to shreds. That's what the beast means. So not, not the kind of guy you want to have over for dinner. You know, just not, not that he's not a real friendly guy. He's evil. And now this third guy, the false prophet, we find out. Now there are and have been many antichrists. First John tells us that he says, in fact, he says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard that the antichrist is coming, the Antichrist, the one, is coming. There are, however, Antichrists who have already gone out in the world, and the spirit of Antichrist is is always around. And so we see that throughout time, there's always been Antichrist juniors and dress rehearsals. And you see that through even Genesis chapter 10, you've got this character Nimrod. And Nimrod starts Babylon. And Babylon is going to be code word for this totalitarian government that rebels against God and leads the world astray all through the scriptures. So you have it right there in Genesis chapter 10. He's the guy behind the tower of Babel that says, oh, we're going to build this tower into the skies. And then they would worship at the top of that tower in terrible blasphemous ways. And so it just started there already. And so along history, you know, the pharaohs of Egypt or Nebuchadnezzar, or the Herods, or the Caesars, Nero, all of the Hitlers, the Stalins, the Husseins, the Maos, the Kim Jong-ils, and the King Kim Jong-uns, his son. Um, you know, they're, they're foreshadowing, and here's a title from Daniel chapter 9 and verse 26, the prince who comes. They're foreshadows, they're dress rehearsals. Because the Bible says you're going to take all of them 
and all of their empires and roll it up into one guy and one government around him, that's who they're going to be dealing with. And so just like the Antichrist had lots, lots of wannabe posers, uh, the false prophet has his all through the history of the world. Even some have said the first false prophet was Cain, the first guy ever born with a belly button, number one son. <laughs> and uh, what, what happened to him? The Lord said, hey, you guys are going to have to approach me with blood sacrifice because of what mom and dad did. And uh, Abel got it. And Cain said, no, we don't have to come with a blood sacrifice, we can come to God with the efforts and the good deeds and the good work and accomplishments of our own hands. Look at these fruits and vegetables that I, no blood, no sacrifice, but me and my good work. Ah, that's where it all starts, right? And so you've got dress rehearsals like the Pharaoh's magicians who were copying uh, Charlton Heston, and then you have (coughs) Moses. Money-hungry, you know, Balaam and the prophets of Baal and Simon the sorcerer and Jim Jones and, and, and David Koresh and uh, the herald campings of the world and the prosperity preachers and the signs and wonders guys and all of the crazies on television. And uh, <laughs> I'm not on television yet, so, you know, I may join them someday and be part of the crazies on TV, but uh, you know what I'm, I'm talking about, things that are so unbiblical and uh, lead people astray. So many dress rehearsals. But this guy, he's king of the false prophets. You take all of those psychics and fortune tellers and false teachers and you, throughout the ages, and you wrap them up into one man, and you've got the Antichrist BFF, the false prophet. And by the way, BFF stands for best friends forever, if you didn't know that. I throw that out, and that's free as well. Now take a look at the Trinity here, the wannabe Trinity. The devil, the father, the source, the Antichrist, the son, the human incarnation of the devil. And now the false prophet completes the unholy trinity. He is the one who, listen, convinces the world and points and convicts them to worship the Son. So you have a complete unholy trinity. And, you know, that's the devil's deal. He said, I will be like the Most High God. I will put my throne above him. I will ascend into the heavens and all it go, on it goes like that. And that is why he is who he is because he wants to be like the Most High God and he imitates him all the time here. And so while his, his origins are, are kind of made clear here by showing us in verse 11 that he sees a beast and it comes out of the earth. Now, most commentators say, wow, what a great illustration of the nature of the guy's message. It comes from the earth. He comes out of the earth. And his message is a message that the earth loves to hear. Jesus said, I am the one who came down from heaven. And they couldn't receive that message. 
because he was the man from above. In John chapter 8, he's talking to the uh, Pharisees who do not get him at all. And he says, what is wrong here? Why don't you understand what I'm saying? Then he says, oh, I'm from above. You're from below. You cannot hear me because my message comes from a different place. And you're not open to that message, you see. And that's the problem. Now, Jesus' disciples, they were upset because people weren't receiving them. So Jesus said, if you belong to the world, John 15, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world doesn't get you. All right? And so that's what he's saying. The beast rises up from the earth. It's a message they get. So instead of listening to the man who comes down from heaven, they're all ears to the man who comes up from the earth. And he has a gospel that they're going to love. So uh, he's evil and he's earthly. He's going to speak a gospel that uh, there's no sin. You guys are basically good. You don't need the cross or blood sacrifice. And what's this so narrow way with Jesus only? So he's going to say things that the earth really relates to and, and receives well. He comes up from the earth and they hear him because they are from the earth. So, and then we get a description of how deceptive he is. He appears like a lamb, the Bible says in your opening verse there, but he speaks like a dragon. Well, evil must disguise itself if it's going to do its thing, right? I mean, scam artists, they got to come off legit. Sexual predators have to gain trust first. And the thief must appear to be honest and upright Well, the false prophet comes off gentle, unintimidating, non-threatening, harmless, loving, kind, docile, a uniter, a peacemaker. And he's going to have eloquence to be bringing deception. And we suspect, really, that nobody is going to be alerted to this great danger because outwardly he comes gentle and kind and eloquent. Uh, Nobody sees it coming. But here, Jesus our Lord nailed it. Didn't he, Matthew chapter 7, what did he say? This very thing, verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. He nails it every time. Our Lord, he's got it. He may look and come and have the attributes of a gentle, oh, peace and love and harmony. And then inside, a ferocious wolf, a beast, there he is. Watch out. Jesus gives you a head up, heads up there. And, and so he's going to sound like a dragon. He's going to look and appear like a, a lamb. What does that mean? This false prophet, um, he doesn't sound like a dragon, he, his speech is connected to the devil in this way. He lies like the devil. John chapter 8, the devil is the father of lies, Jesus told us. So never will a lie sound so wonderful and so right and so good and so true. Just, I mean, ask Eve when you see her. Seriously. Because that sound, that whisper, it was all lie. It was 100% lie and it was 100% wonderful sounding. 
And that's always how he is. So he, he appears, wow, head guru, head spiritualist, head uh, reverend, head imam, whatever he is, he appears soft and gentle and kind. But inwardly, we see that he's uh, got some trouble there. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, let me read it to you. The coming of the Antichrist will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And, and, and so you see, the Lord says, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, the, that God wants all people to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. But if after the church has been here for 2,000 years and people still don't, you still don't want to hear the truth, you really only have one option, is the lie. And then in this period of time, God grants them what they so want to hear. But that's not God's heart. God's will is that none perish, but all come to have eternal life, that they repent and, and find him and find life. That's God's heart. Okay, so the false prophet portrays himself as a docile lamb, and here we see his incredible power, but it's not just spiritual. So we're at point two. The man has power. So verse 12, we see that the false prophet uh, is, has delegated power, that the president of the world, Mr. Wonderful, has, has given him a place of prominence in, let's say, his administration. So he's front and center, but he's been gifted that power by the Antichrist, the world ruler, says this is the man, this is his job, and whatever his job is, uh, he's been given that power. He I'll, I'll paraphrase verse 12. He exercises all authority over uh, on, the, on, on behalf of the Antichrist. So everything the guy does, he's employed by him to bring people to him. So the Antichrist officially appoints the false prophet to some kind of office or position. And as I said, he's either head bishop, head priest, head reverend, head guru, Imam, spiritual Zen master, whatever. I mean, whatever form he's going to take, or he's going to take them all, and he's going to make one really special religion, a religion that the world loves, spirituality without lordship, enlightenment without morality. You see, these are things you can do. A religion with you at the center, not God. And, and so he's going to do his thing. These two guys, you know, I don't even know if they, do they know they're the false prophet and the Antichrist? I don't think so. I think they're being used by the power that they've opened their hearts to, who, who blinds their own minds, and they think they're just lusting and, uh, for their own power. They don't know that they've lived together. They will perish together. The Lord uh, says in coming chapters, he takes the false prophet and the Antichrist together, and they are, are eternally uh, disposed of in a, in a most unbecoming way. And I'll let you, we're going to get to those chapters later. So what does your verse say? It says that the apparent assassination attempt on the Antichrist and his mock resurrection from the dead, hello, another counterfeit thing that God does through Christ. He does it, tries to do it, 
And that is what pushes everybody over. They say, who is like the beast? Who can ever defeat him? I mean, well, you know, you kill a guy. He gets up and says, like that hurt. You know, what are you going to say to that, right? I mean, who's like him? And so that's the kind of thing that pushes them over and says, listen, we might as well just follow and love this guy because he must be the real deal. The thing about the signs and wonders, it says he performs great and miraculous signs. For example, verse 13, the guy can call fire down from heaven while the world is watching in full view. It's interesting how revelation of this prophecy points out time and again that the whole world is watching the same thing. For 2,000 years, people scoffed at those verses and said, how in the world could the whole world be viewing this one scene? And now, in the last 50 years, we understand, oh, scoff no more. Yeah, we could watch, be at any part of the world, see anything going on now, right in the palm of our hands. And so it's just an amazing time to be alive. I do want to say this about great, miraculous signs and wonders and fire from heaven. You remember when Moses, uh, showing a sign that he was legit, he threw down his rod at the Lord's command, and the rod became a snake, right? Then Pharaoh's magicians said, hey, we can do the same thing. He's got a snake, we can make snakes. So they make snakes. And then later, Moses strikes the Nile, which is something they worshipped as a god, and God was doing a thing to show them that the Nile didn't have power over the Lord, and the, the Nile was bleeding. And so the magicians run back to Pharaoh and say, here's some Nile water, watch this. And they make more blood. And one commentator said, that's exactly what Satan does. He can make things worse, but he can't make things better. He can't undo what God has done. He can only, if it adds to the problem and the fire and the chaos, he'll do it. Now, interestingly, we already heard a third of the world is on fire. So what does he do? (laughs) Oh, watch me, I'm going to bring more fire. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, pow, more fire, because he can do more snakes, and he can do more problems, and he can make you more high, and he can make you more drunk, and he can make you more sensual, and he can do all these destructive miracles, but he can't reverse what God has done, and he can't do anything good, but he can make more fire. You know what we could use, false prophet? We could use like a hose from heaven, you know, with water to put out the fire on the earth. But no, you know, he says, watch this. I'll make matters worse. And so he has power. Um, 14, on the behalf of the beast to validate him as God. Another stolen strategy from the Bible. So what did Jesus say? He said, look, Pharisees, let my miracles speak on behalf of me. If I'm claiming to be God, which he did, then if I don't do what God does, don't believe me. But if I can do the things that God does, then you best believe. And so the Lord used signs and wonders to validate the the wonderful claims that were coming out of his mouth. If any man believe in me, He shall never die. I am the resurrection and the life. 
No one comes to the Father but through me. If anyone believes in me, he shall live forever. And then what did he do? He went and raised Lazarus from the dead. When he said, I am the bread of life, anybody who eats from me will never hunger or thirst in the whole world. And then what did he do? He fed 10,000 people with a little kid's lunch. So his signs and wonders were to validate. And so here, the false prophet and the Antichrist, oh, believe in him because he's raised from the dead and watched the fire come down. The problem is it's, they're miracles, but they're not in accordance to truth. Truth. The only thing, listen, folks, just because there's a miracle doesn't mean it comes from God. It has to have three things to be authentically coming from heaven. It has to have truth of God's word and the gospel. It has to have moral goodness, and it has to have biblical love. Truth and love are the signs that God's at work, and without that, it doesn't matter how miraculous it is. Don't go chasing after signs and wonders. God is a miracle-working God, and he's, he's done a lot of miracles in this very room. He transforms lives. He can still heal people. He, he works in these ways. But he does so in the truth of sound doctrine and the word of God and in biblical love. Lives have to live up to the kind of morality and godliness that Jesus himself had. And so once the, most of the world is convinced by the miracle signs and wonders <clears throat> that are divorced from truth, goodness, and love, it's time for the main event, which is our last point, uh, Operation Worship the Beast. So that's his mission. The greatest feat of all now is he's going to take his place, as Paul told the Thessalonians, uh, that the Antichrist would find a day, go into the temple, and proclaim himself to be God. And so this is a big thing in the Bible called the abomination of desolation from Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27 that says at this point, the treaty with Israel is broken and all hell breaks loose. It's the middle point of the tribulation. So worshiping the beast, the false prophet orders the people to make a great statue in honor of the first beast, the Antichrist, who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was given the ability to make the statue speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it or him should be executed. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead, and no one could buy or sell anything without the mark which was either the name of the beast, the Antichrist, or the number representing his name. <clears throat> so once again, a counterfeit uh, move on the, on the act of the devil. Uh, the Lord, in earlier chapters, in chapter 7, had uh, set aside his people with a distinguishing mark, and the mark went on their foreheads. And the Lord protected them and set them apart, and they are un unstoppable in the tribulation period. So Satan says, you have your people, you mark them and you put your little spot on them and I have mine. You have your devoted ones and I have mine. And you mark them on the forehead 
I'm going to mark them on the forehead and on the right hand. You see, he's just imitating once again. And here's what he's after. The, the devil has always wanted to be like God. That's what got kicked him out. Isaiah 14, read it for yourself. And he wants what only belongs to God, and that's the worship and the adoration of the world. That's what he's after. We talked about this last week in Matthew chapter 4, didn't we? Our Lord was being tempted for 40 days. He had fasted 40 days, and there in the Judean wilderness, the devil takes him up, Matthew said, a very high mountain, and said, look, the kingdoms and the splendor of the world, your boy, Adam, lost it. It went to me. And I can give it to whomever I please, but only one stipulation, Jesus, that you bow down and worship me, and it's yours. No cross, no flogging. Let's just do this the easy way, man. Just all I want is a simple bow of the knee and a little adoration to me, and it's yours. That's what he wants, and he's going to get it through his son and incarnation, the Antichrist. That's what he's after. By the way, the Lord just looked at him and quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 13. It is written, worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he told him, be gone. So here we go, the big ta-da of verse 14, spectacular, idolatrous uh, statue uh, uh, goes up. The spitting image of Mr. Wonderful, Mr. World President, uh, uh, set up and displayed for the whole world to see. Now, if you live back in Babylonian times, King Nebuchadnezzar ruled the world, you might be saying, been there, done this. Uh, Daniel 3, let me give you a quick little read. King Nebuchadnezzar makes an image of gold, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, and set it up and summoned everybody, all the officials of the kingdom, for a dedication day. He said, this is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, all nations, of men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold of me, King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately executed and thrown into the flaming fire. Oh, come on. I mean, we've seen this all through the centuries. It's not just Nebuchadnezzar. This is 300 years of Caesar worship. And the church had to go 300 years through that. Ten emperors in a row where it was a capital offense not to pinch the incense and say, Caesar is Lord. You wouldn't be able to have your little document to join the trade unions or to work to provide for yourself. And you could be killed. You'd lose everything. So it's not really anything new, but what is new? There's something new here in this dictator of dictators little grab bag. Now there's the statue, yeah, seen there, seen this, done that. But then suddenly, what does he do? An idol that comes to life and speaks by the power of the false prophet who breathes the breath of life into it. Now, once again, counterfeit time, you know, the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground 
and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So what does the devil want to do? You did your thing. You gathered from little mud and shaped a little man. And then what did you do? You blew into his nostrils and went, and he sat up and talked to you. Well, I want to be like the most high God. I'm going to make my little thing, and I'm going to breathe life into it. And it spoke. Well, this was very convincing. Now, Mary's kind of scary, I would imagine. And it's, it's really more than technology. Technology could be involved, but it's really more. I mean, it's more than Siri. You know Siri. <laughs> uh, Siri is that little intelligent uh, personal assistant application. You speak to her, and she talks back. You say, you know, find me this restaurant. And she says, okay. Um, you know, she talks to you. Uh, remind me about this. She'll remind you. I don't personally have a relationship with Siri, but some of you do. How many of you know Siri? All right, yeah. Well, I'm not saying she's like the mark of the beast or anything. You're all like, should <laughs> No, I'm just talking about technology. Now, listen, some funny things that she says, all right? Because she's smart, but she's not that smart. But she's very funny. One guy said, I want to rob a bank. And so she says, I found 12 banks, nine of them fairly close to you. <laughs> How about this one? I love you, Siri. And she says, I hope you don't say that to all the other phones. <laughs> Here's a good one. Am I fat? And she says, I prefer not to answer that. <laughs> Smart. I like this one. <laughs> Somebody said, call me an ambulance. And she says, okay, from now on, I'll call you an ambulance. <laughs> How about this one? Last one. What's the meaning of life? And she says, I'm not sure, but I think there's an app for that. <laughs> now, the image of dear leader. I like to call him dear leader. His image that speaks knows the meaning of life, and it's to worship and serve the Antichrist. Because if you don't do that, you're going to die. So to make sure the dear leader gets what he and the prince of darkness have always wanted, world adoration, the edict must be enforced. Now the Bible's very clear. It's a command that goes global. All right. He says, uh, whether it's a million dollar acquisition or you want to uh, buy, you know, a tall coffee at Starbucks, it's going to, you're going to need the mark. Uh, so if you're a prime minister or whether you're a panhandler on the street, you're going to need the mark. Whether you're the big movie star or you're just the hired help who does her dirty clothes, you're going to need the mark. It makes it very clear. King or homeless person, rich or poor, slave or free, the whole earth. And we, we kind of get the idea. Now, what... What could that be? Well, it could be as simple as what we think of. You know, you can't do much business without a social security number, a driver's license, or a passport. We get that. And I, honestly, I mean, where would you be right now? No social security card, no, no driver's license, and no passport. You can't get around. You can't move. You can't make a living very well. 
without those things. So that's the idea, but everybody's mind goes to technology and to the chip, right? So let me read to you about the chip that we do have that the FDA has approved. I, I don't necessarily think it's the thing, but it could be involved. But let me, it's just interesting. Here's a picture of it. The FDA has impro- uh, approved rather a, a, a first device that can go under the skin of human beings. It's called Verichip Company. And y'all, some of you have pets that have these chips in them already. And I, so I'm not in, implying anything about your dog or your cat, though some of them may be. <laughs> the ones who don't obey certainly have a problem. Now, uh, let me read to you about from the company's website. U.S.-based Digital Angel has products and services which continue to combine uh, biosensor technology with web-enhanced wireless telecommunications like global positioning systems. Accordingly, they can monitor the key body functions of a human or animal and transmit that data along with accurate location information to a ground station or monitoring facility so that they can be monitored and tracked by loved ones. Of course they are. (laughs) Their whereabouts can even be viewed on a map over the internet, sort of like tracking your freight on FedEx.com, only this monitors the, the, I'm just reading it straight, all right? Only this monitors the condition of the person being tracked, too. While not everyone will, I love this line, while not everyone will be comfortable putting a microchip under their skin, You think? (laughs) Uh, As they are with tagging the family pet, you'll never need to worry about the whereabouts of your loved ones again. Verichip and plants also provide medical and identity information. The system's already being used in a variety of innovative solutions, including monitoring the um, vital stats of at-risk patients, farm animal management systems, locating stolen property, Uh, monitoring the location of parolees and providing a tamper-proof means of identification for enhanced e-commerce security. Thank you for the picture. The word mark there in the Greek means to etch or to carve or to ink for the purpose of idolatry. It's always connected to idolatry. So however it all comes together, there's, there must be a way to observe and enforce. And it has something to do with something that goes here or here. In plain sight, accessible, you know, you know and that's another thing Christians are so silly about. I mean, we're silly because of this kind of thing, but, you know, at Disneyland... I don't even like it when they would want to stamp my hand with something. You know, they put a little stamp there so you show it back and then put it under the light. You know, I'm kind of like, hey, man, I'm cool. I'm a pastor. You can trust me. I don't need anything on my hand, you know. But uh, that's kind of a joke that didn't go over again. But I keep trying. <laughs> you got to hand it to me. You know, I keep hammering at that same door. I've learned my lesson, but it's almost too late. <laughs> All right, so here we are. Uh, Uh, with this mark, the idea, and we understand it. So 
he finishes very interesting. Verse 18, isn't it? He says, I want you to figure it out. The Lord. He says, okay, all this talk, this calls for wisdom. He says, real wisdom. And if you have any insight or understanding at all, do the math. The word arithmetic in the Greek three times in this verse. Aramathos in the Greek where we get the word arithmetic. He's saying calculate it. Here it is. His name, his number, the association, it adds up to him. Here it is. Now, you know, many trees have lost their lives for the pages and the gallons of ink spilled upon those pages to tell you who this person is because they figured it out. They cracked the code. You know what? This is written to help those in the day when it will make total sense to them. They'll be able to do the math and they'll be helped. That's why he gives it to them, to us, to them. You you know, you can look at it. Somebody said, you know, God's number is seven and man's number is six. We fall short. And so maybe this is God's way of saying he is the poster child for the entire history of you humans trying to be perfect like God. So strike one, six. Strike two, six. Strike three, you humans, six. You're out. You know, but I personally believe that it does really have something to do with the literal person and the people in that day. Well, it'll be very clear whether you do the math with the numbers and alpha numeric system, where the letters stand for numbers, those kinds of things. But you know what? In this day and age, you can make those names, you can make the Antichrist anybody you want by doing the kind of math. And so the point here is, is that the Lord wants to protect those who live in that day with a way to understand who the bad boy is. So for us, what do we take away from all of this? Here's what I'm thinking. Uh, Even though he's not on the scene, the spirit of him is, and all the Antichrist juniors are, the false prophet juniors, the spirit of false prophecy is in this county. It may be in some of your heads. What do we do? He says, in the meantime, you be faithful to the Lord. You stand up for truth. You love God with all your heart. You open your heart to God and you live according to his word. You love God's people. Like I like to say, hey, if your eyes are on Christ, your nose is in the book and your knees on the ground, how can you go wrong? I like what Micah said. He just said, let me put it to you this way. He showed you what he requires, hasn't he? It just comes down to one sentence. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You do do those things, you'll be blessed, you'll be protected and saved. And if you don't know the Lord this morning, it's so easy to know him. He said, whoever calls on my name shall be saved. And it's a calling that means I give you my life, I open my heart, and he comes in and you belong to him from that day forward. So don't, if you don't know him, 
You know, some folks say, you know, when I see all of this happen, I'll see it. He'll be the world ruler. There'll be this guy. And yeah, and he'll want to put something here and I'll just say no. That's not what the Bible says you'll do. The Bible says you're going to be swayed. Most people. So, if your heart doesn't know the Lord and he's tugging on your heart today, just open your heart. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have enough faith to know that Jesus is alive, Jesus is the Son of God, and he's the way to eternal life. And you just repent of your sins and your unbelief. You open your heart. And he says, you shall be born again and uh, you'll live forever. Let's pray together.